Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, it's sort of still the start of a new year. It's January. It's always a good time to think ahead and to plan We all have so many good intentions. Hopefully yours haven't fallen away yet. So let's think about getting on top of our investing for 2024. I'm super happy to be speaking to Henry Jennings from Marcus today. It's always one of our most popular guests and to get his thoughts on how to set yourself up for success this year. Henry, thanks so much for joining me. Always a pleasure, Gemma, and happy new year to you and your listeners. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. It sort of feels a bit late to be saying it, but that's right. Said it. No, it's never too late. Let's face it. <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for the uh, the 2024 diaries to be marked down by 40%. <laughs> so when they get marked by 75%, you're like, oh, we're really in the year now. This is happening. Yeah, but that's March and you've missed half of it. <laughs> then they've We've got the financial had... year ones coming out. Well, you're like, oh, well, come that... on. Oh, that's true. We've already got hot cross buns. I mean, they came out, I think, Boxing Day just about. So (laughs) it feels like 2024 has been going quite a while already, to be honest. So we're there. We're in 2024. It's happening. 2023. I'm fascinated by 2023. It was such an extraordinary year because every single thing that was predicted to happen didn't happen, roughly. It was actually pretty boring on the ASX, apart from this kind of tear at the end. U.S. Yeah. equities had an absolute belter, but once you strip out the Magnificent Seven, actually pretty boring also. Mm-hmm. Do we get off the wild ride now? What happens? No, Gemma, I, I think we're still on the wild ride, I have to admit. Uh, I think someone once said that war is 90% boredom and 10% sheer terror, and I think that sort of sums up 2023. It was a, an extraordinarily dull year. Uh, for many investors, the market went kind of nowhere for an awful long time. And then we had that, or the Fed pivot, uh, and it just went screaming higher. Of course, the Magnificent Seven were always uh, doing pretty well with the whole rise of AI and NVIDIA, et cetera. But uh, as far as the Aussie market goes, it really took till, I guess, October till things got going. Santa then came big time, and the market pushed up towards all-time highs just around Christmas time. So it, it was an interesting year, I have to say. Um, I think 2024 is going to be a similarly interesting year. Once again, we're going to be dominated by the great inflation, interest rate, bond yield arguments. But of course, we do have the added spice in 2024 as well, because there are a number of elections around the world, none bigger than, of course, the US presidential election. So the whole Trump factor is going to come into play. And we've already seen uh, the first caucus go off. And uh, when you read the percentage of uh, Republicans who believe in certain things, it is quite staggering, uh, I have to say. So that, that is going to make life a little interesting, to say the least for 2024, UK elections as well. So, and, and you know, as you rightly say, everything that the experts predicted did not happen. And here we are, I'm now in the prediction business for 2024. So I, I would imagine that everything I say is not going to happen this year either, because uh, uh, the market certainly and the, the global economic backdrop has been somewhat um, unpredictable, to say the least, that's for sure. I think that's an excellent start. Everything I'm going to say will not happen. Yeah, it's going to be another confusing year. 
You can it's switch a... off now, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> you can ignore me now because it's not going to happen. Look, I think the humility is of great value because anyone who speaks with an enormous amount of confidence and uh, and doesn't temper it with a bit of humility is can be quite spectacularly wrong. And then they have to go really quiet on Twitter for a while, which is always upsetting. Well, luckily, Gemma, I don't actually go on Twitter or the artist formerly known as Twitter, uh, now known <laughs> as X. I, I still find it quite amusing that, you know, it's referred to in the papers and the media as X, formerly known as Twitter. When does the formerly known as Twitter bit stop being uh, added to X? Is it always going to be there? I mean, what's the point? It just seems yeah. strange. I don't, X is also in print anyway. X is quite, yeah. quite difficult to recognise what it is, right? It looks very odd. But well, it is. Yes. neither of us is going to make any predictions on Twitter so no one can come back and tell us that we got it wrong, which is no, always we're, we're, helpful. I'm going to make predictions here and then people can <laughs> listen in, in a year's time and say you are an absolute idiot. And, you got it completely you, wrong, unlike everybody else. <laughs> And you were right in saying that whatever comes next in this podcast is going to be completely wrong as well. So, yeah. Okay. So let's start then, though. Yeah. Thoughts about getting on the front foot for 2024? Because I do think this is really important. You come into a new year. You yep. want to make good decisions. Most of us let things drag on in our portfolios for far too long. Yeah. And that catalyst for making decisions can kind of drift past you for some time. Because we had this tear into the end of 2023 and it's continued into the beginning of 2024 to an extent yeah. anyway, yeah. is now a good time to kind of rethink? Um, I, th I think it is. I think it's always a good time to uh, rethink at some extent uh, and keep on top of things. But, of course, you know, when the clock ticks over to Jan 1, uh, we all make the best intentions, you know, we're going to lose 15 kilos, we're going to learn a language, we're going to do all this. Um, usually by about now, we've forgotten all about those. So um, I think, you know, we start out with the best intentions. 2024, I think there's certainly reasons to be cheerful about the outlook. But uh, you're right, we have been on a pretty big tear up till now. I, I wrote before Christmas that I thought the market would do pretty well uh, for the Santa Rally into the new year. But around the 15th of January, uh, when people come back from the beach a little bit cranky uh, because their holidays have been interrupted. And that's probably this is probably the first week, I guess, that people are, are truly back and volumes should start to pick up, um, that we may start to see problems. And, and we are starting to see a few cracks appearing in the market. But the great thing, I guess, about 2023 and something that has taught us and our, some of our members at uh, Marcus today is the value of patience. And I know that many people say you can't time the market and that it's all about time in the market rather than about timing the market. Uh, but this year, we have done very well in terms of calls by being patient and not being afraid to have elevated cash levels. In fact, so elevated that at times during 2023, we had uh, no real um, recommendations to some extent in some of our portfolios to uh, to members, as opposed to just staying in cash. And the great thing about the environment we're in at the moment is that you're actually being paid a relatively good return in terms of uh, percentages to be patient, to have cash not to go throwing it around at every whim, every sort of sexy theme that comes along. So you can pick and choose. But I think what is also important as well 
is to recognize, and this is the hard bit, of course, this is always the hard bit, is to recognize when we do have those inflection points, when we do have uh, something that really changes the game. And that was, you know, back in October, we saw the Fed uh, and the whole game about uh, rate cuts and rate pauses and rate hikes, et cetera, that completely changed. And as a result, the market was off like a scolded cat. Similarly, you know, the whole AI thing completely changed everything. And uh, that really meant that you had to kind of go all in. Uh, you may have pyramided in, you may have taken it slightly cautiously, but that was certainly a signal. And uh, I think 2024, we're going to be looking once again for those signals. But it does pay to be patient, I think, not get wrapped up in the hype because you know there is a lot of hype and certainly you know modern markets they do tend to move on momentum big time and they go much further than you think possible both in terms of up and in terms of down you know we saw the iron ore price hit nearly 140 US dollars a ton around Christmas time and it's been coming off ever since we saw November 22 the lithium price you know, go through the roof, and now it's down around 85, 90, you know, 85% from those highs. So we have seen these themes before, and people get very carried away with them. But I think you just need to be patient. You need to be somewhat logical, rational. The market is, is well, people are telling you things. I mean, the, the Fed told you things, and the market reacted. You just have to learn, I guess, to, to, uh, to follow those signals and to be patient for those signals. It may pay you to do three trades a year or be in the market three times and out of the market three times in the year. You don't need to uh, follow the noise because I think this year is going to be a, a year of a lot of noise again. I love so many things you said there, and I do want to pick up on the timing the market thing. Yeah. I studied economics at university and is that a real subject? Is it what well, not only is it a real subject, it was a real degree, it's a whole degree in economics, which I wow. don't even think exists anymore. It makes me sound super old. And not only that, there was an actual economics faculty at the time, like it was absurd. Yeah. But then we had 30 years of no, not 30 years, it hasn't been that long since I've been to university. We had 20 years of no inflation. Uh, yeah. So they got rid of all the economics faculties, and I'm pretty sure they got rid of all the uh, yeah. the economics degrees as well. But I did do economics as a degree. Um, along with some other things. And, you know, when you do economics, because it's all about, you know, macro, I mean, yeah. I did do micro as well, but macro things happening, you know, mm. in aggregate and things moving around. And so there's a huge amount of data that suggests time in the market is what matters. And the one thing I've had to change my view on, actually, when I came to working in a broking firm rather than for a wealth manager, rather than for an advice firm, is when you look at people who are making decisions about what to do with their own money, people are surprisingly good at timing the market. I am amazed by it, amazed. Yeah. And those signals are much clearer than many people would have you believe. Don't take this as advice, right? There's a lot of people who are terrible at timing the market. And if yep. you are afraid that you'll be terrible, probably best to either get some advice or try not to do it at all. But I, you know, having been taught for many years that you can't time the market, clearly that's not correct, right? Maybe um, not everybody can time the market, but it's certainly possible. No, I, I, I think there are moments when you can time the market and they tend to be big pivot moments. I remember during you know, the first days of COVID, 
uh, and we timed the market absolutely beautifully. And I remember, you know, Marcus and I had a, a brief sort of Skype, or I think it was Skype in those days, such a long time ago, a uh, conversation about the market. And my kind of signal was the Tokyo Olympic Games. Actually, my, my initial signal was Tom Hanks getting sick. Uh, if you remember, Tom Hanks was filming, I think he was filming Elvis at the time up on the Gold Coast. And up until that moment, COVID was just uh, you know something that was happening in China. It wasn't really that important. But then Tom Hanks caught COVID. Now, Tom Hanks is kind of the everyman. He's been in so many movies when he's just the plain, boring old Joe that does extraordinary things. And we can all kind of identify with Tom Hanks to some extent. And he got sick. And that kind of precipitated a whole change, I think, in mindset. And I know that sounds a little flippant and maybe a little dumb, but uh, it, it brought it home to, I think, a lot of people that, crikey, if Tom Hanks can get sick, we can get sick. So that was the moment things started getting pretty serious in terms of COVID land and the market tumbled um, in you know on the back of that. I don't think it was on the back of Tom Hanks news, but just in the moment that people started to take it seriously. And then we had the cancellation or the postponement rather of the Tokyo Olympics. And again, that was a signal. That was the big signal that peak kind of negativity had hit. And we went from being all out of the market a couple of days after Mr. Hanks uh, caught a snuffle than to being all in the market after the Tokyo Olympics were postponed as we saw that as peak negativity and it played really well for us. So I think it, it's, I think people can time the market. I think when you're doing asset allocation, big asset allocations, it's probably easier to time those big asset allocations as opposed to timing the BHP market or timing the iron ore market. I think that's, that's somewhat trickier. Uh, but timing the market in terms of the big changes, the, the, the things that are really going to make a significant difference, not necessarily tomorrow or the day after or in a week, but in, in the months to come, then I think people are far better at seeing that than they get credit for. And, and people are, are, are certainly a lot better at it. You know, the, the October pivot from the Fed was a signal, was another momentous kind of change in direction. You didn't have to pick it to the day. You just had to recognize that there was a movement in the force, that something had happened that had changed the narrative one way or the other. And, you know, that narrative meant that you had to jump on board because we were going to see, you know, a pretty impressive kind of rally where we've gone from you know, talking about interest rate rises and soft landings, hard landings, any kind of landings to, you know, Rates are going to be cut. The US economy is still pretty firm. Uh, Powell and his uh, members seem to have, you know, orchestrated one of the great, um, great sort of landings of all time, if you like. So, you know, I think it's important to try and recognize those big pivot points rather than, you know, the day to day other banks are buy, other banks are sell. I think that's that's harder. But I think, you know, there are some times when there are neon flashing signs out there and and you just have to open your eyes sometimes and read the neon flashing signs to know that something is stirring and that you need to start looking at why and how you can benefit from that stirring we, we saw it with you know with nvidia with the whole ai space you could see something was stirring and you could see that there was going to be a stampede of uh, cash because there's so much cash around but you could see that stampede of cash going into that thematic 
um, currently as we're, we're doing this podcast, you, you're seeing a stampede into uranium, uh, which is taken over from lithium as, as the next hot commodity, uh, which I find uh, quite interesting. And uh, certainly it's been very lucrative. We've been on the uranium train for a little while. But, uh, you know, that will peter out as well at some stage and uh, we'll be back on a different train. But again, you know, there was momentous game changes for uranium. We saw it with COP, whatever COP it was, COP 45 or COP 26, I don't know, whatever COP it was, COP out 26, uh, when they talked about, you know, the world embracing uranium as a, or nuclear plants as a alternative to, uh, to fossil fuels and a transition fuel and the small uh, modular reactors, which are still yet to be proven, I have to say, uh, are going to be the, the new sort of uh, battleground for the um, for the green and clean. So you know, that, that was a big move, and uranium prices have, have gone ballistic. So I think you can time the market. I think it's harder when you get down to micro, but I think it's, it's good to be able to recognise those big, big pivot points, those big events, something that comes along. And we've got, you know, potentially quite a few of those this year with elections, US presidential. Um, you know, we've still got a couple of wars going on and all that sort of stuff. So there are some big things out there that could prove once again to be big pivot points. I love all of that. It's COP28, as it turns out. Um, uh, and I who, remember who this. <laughs> I remember this quite well because I was on doing like ABC News and yeah. we were filming and I said COP26, and they were like, it's COP28. I was like, fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I started calling Keep going. Cop, cop, cop out. <laughs> the cop. Yeah, they're all at the cop at the moment. Um, yeah. I got the number yeah. wrong. Oh, good. I yeah. feel like it's not been two years since the last one, but fine, fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So probably one point I should make actually about market timing, uh, and you're talking about wholesale you know, 100% sell down to cash, 100% back into the market. Most people are not going to do that, right? If nothing else, you've got capital gains tax to take into consideration and yeah. so on. But the but, opportunity exists for tilts, right? And that's where it gets fun, you know, yeah. just having a little lean this way, a little lean this way. So you're a little bit better positioned for what you think is going to happen. And as yeah. you say, the signals can be there. Which yeah. leads so nicely into my next question, which is what do you <laughs> like well, we've done I, this before? I, I, I was going to say, you know, in, in terms of, you know, retail investors, forgetting the tax implications, obviously there are tax implications, They're, they can, you know, you can go to 100% cash, you know, depending yeah. on how big your portfolio is, depending on when you bought it, depending on all the other things, but you can, you know, you can go to that kind of level of cash, whereas, you know, a, a big fund manager if they want to cash up, it's you just can't do it, guys. You know, that their mm. idea of a high cash level would be five to ten percent. That'd be extraordinary for some. Um, you know, they're they're paid to be in the market. Retail investors, again, it depends on on lots of things, you right, tax, etc. Uh, and this is not tax advice, but if you know, if you've got two stocks in the market and you're only just starting out and you start to get a little worried, it's not that difficult to go to 100 percent cash. If you've got a $3 million uh, self-managed super fund uh, with all the implications there, it may be significantly harder to go to 100% cash, but it is possible. And But it's not for, uh, you know, it's not for Regal or um, Jeff Wilson. They, they, they you know, 10% cash would be, that'd be huge. So, um, but that, that their game is different. They don't care about making absolute money to some extent. They care about making relative money. They just need to beat the benchmark. Um, but you know, as a as a retail investor, it's just 
Now, if the market's down 10% and you're down 9%, you know what? You're still down 9%. And, you know, the, the benchmark's benchmark. Who cares? Uh, you you want to make absolute money. You want to make absolute returns if you can, because you don't have to compete with the benchmark necessarily. Anyway, on we go. Agreed. Agreed. I do yeah. think, you know, the, there's a lot of bad press out there about uh, retail investors. Uh, I happen to be in the same room and I shan't give any more context uh, as a guy who is very high up in an institution in the US uh, that is famous for betting against slash taking a clip uh, on retail trading platforms. Right. Um, and you can put a few different things together and make something of that if you wish. Um, but it was a small room, <laughs> yeah, and um, and therefore therefore someone I can have a chat with. And yeah. uh, and it was really interesting because the perspective in the US of what a retail investor slash trader might be is extremely negative. Right? It's all Davy Day trader and idiots mm. hunting their lives away and those sorts of things. And to be explaining to someone who, you know, makes a lot of money out of betting against those people that we just don't see any of those, that kind of behaviour was really interesting. I was like, it's just not like yeah. that. It's, um, think- and I'm not hypothesising, you know, I've got no. hundreds of thousands of data points, you know, on a monthly basis to Yeah, you know, I think validate. Australian retail investors are quite a sophisticated lot, to be honest, um, and, and they're pretty good at what they do. I know, you know, we get email after email from our members, not necessarily who have followed our advice sometimes, uh, which is frustrating, but who who do their own thing and they use a variety of tools as their background. It may be us, it may be listening to NABTrade, it may be whatever they listen to, um, they do all right. They're not, they're not the, you know, they're not out to be slaughtered by the the big guys. Sometimes, you know, slow and nimble, um, or nimble certainly can uh, can be very productive and they're they're far from cannon fodder for the market that's for sure yeah 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 you know as an individual you've got tools at your disposal and opportunities at your disposal that the professionals don't have it's a real privilege uh you know so if you're feeling a bit stupid don't you're good Uh, (laughs) that's the upshot of that conversation you can do more than perhaps some of the professionally produced literature might suggest, let's put it yeah. that way. So yeah. let's talk about this. Are there any signals you're looking out for this year? I do like the way, the way you were talking about getting excited and then you mentioned wars and elections, which doesn't sound very exciting. But any things that stand out to you as kind of the pivot points that might um, raise their heads? Well, I, I think the market, and we, we talk about the market, um, it's always fascinating when we talk about the market. Um, a, a group of people, uh, a group of probably more higher profile people in the media, perhaps, or on the analyst front of things, I think have got somewhat ahead of themselves in terms of timing on the rate cuts that are coming. Now, we all know they're coming. It is a question of when. I suspect the RBA will be a lot slower to cut rates than the Fed will. But because of what's happening in the US as well this year with the election, it's going to make the Fed's job just that little bit harder. You know, Biden, who I am amazed that he's running, to be honest. I I think that's my big call of the year is that he will 
drop out of the race and pass the baton. Um, by the time, if, if he was to get elected, he would be 87 at the end of his uh, term. He has been in US politics for 50 years. Now that is, you are an entrenched part of the system. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because there is a propensity for the US government to wave cash around, which is not going to help with the Fed in terms of inflation, you know, the IRA and all those sorts of things and, and stimulating the economy for uh, protection against uh, Russian uranium, Chinese technology, all the other uh, outside threats uh, does require funding. I think that is inflationary and the Fed will struggle to contain the Democrats' um, largesse to some extent, and uh, therefore uh, they will not cut rates, I think, to uh, to help the US economy, because it probably doesn't need any help, to be honest. Um, so I think that is going to be the biggest disappointment in the market. I think the RBA will face a similar conundrum. We're already seeing the Albanese government talking about bringing forward cost of living pressure measures, uh, stage three tax cuts a little earlier or other measures earlier uh, to try and help people. Again, that's going to make the RBA uh, job a little bit harder. You've got the push me pulley. You've got the, the government spending more money on infrastructure and, and greening, et cetera. And then you've got the RBA trying to slow things down. So it, it is kind of difficult. So I think that is something to be wary about in terms of pivot points. And, you know, we're going to see uh, some big pivot points this year in terms of, um, you know, we just had the Taiwan election. That's made life a little more interesting for uh, for this part of the world. We've got, um, again, uh, as I say, the US election. And Trump would not be a fan of Powell cutting rates to help the Democrats. Uh, I would think that uh, although Trump appointed Powell, his, um, his tenure as, as head of the Fed, if Trump was to get in, uh, and had cut rates to help Biden would be quite a short tenure. Um, I don't know what the contract says, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Trump replace him with someone that's a little more Trump friendly. So I, I think there's lots of things happening this year. Um, political, um, macro, China obviously is is one of the big, big turnaround kind of stories, which you know, I think if we were talking this time last year, we would have talked about, oh, it's going to be the year when China stimulus comes through and it's going to be whatever. Um, you know, it's, it hasn't happened for a year. They haven't had bazooka stimulus. I know I've talked about how it's been certainly more focused on different parts of the economy, but even that's been pretty wishy-washy, to be honest. And, uh, you know, the Chinese equity market's plunged. It's, uh, it's down, you know, 6.5% year to date. and We're only in middle of January. So, you know, it's um that that's still the big question mark. And you know, there's this there's a lot, there's always a lot going on, Gemma, which is why, and I've been doing this this job for so many years, because it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Psychology, greed, macro, um, it's just it's great. It's fun. Um, but um, you know, making some predictions is is always good, but I'm sure I'm going to be wrong. But I think we're going to see some some other big opportunities this year, and maybe we're going to see continued volatility to the max in some respects. I wouldn't be surprised to see our ASX 200 hit 8,000, but I equally wouldn't be surprised to see it hit 6,500 again. So, you know, I, I think we've got potential both ways. That's quite the range. 
it is. It is not giving anyone any direction at all with that. You could go either way. Well, you, you, you can, and you know, as we've uh, we've discussed, one of the great things. Oh, I'm not sure it's the great thing, but one of the things that's happened in markets in the last ten years is is that because of the way computer programs trade and everything's dependent on everything else, and if something happens here, then you do something over there. Um, things happen quickly. Momentum takes over, and computers are very good at spotting the easy trades. You know, it's when you when you short something, it's very easy to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Pilbara, twenty one percent short. They they will take any chance to push it down because that's that's the name of the game. So you know, things go harder and faster and further. Than they did. Now, when I started in the business, walking around the London Stock Exchange, taking prices off the board with a marker pen on a pad, uh, one of those clipboards, and writing down the price of BP and Shell, and wandering around hour upon hour doing that. You know, things move very slowly, extraordinarily slowly. It was glacial. It was almost the ice age that I started in. Now, now we're in this this computer AI generated age, and AI programs trading the market. Wow. That's happening. It's been happening for a while, and that's going to be really interesting. So I'm guessing that does lead to some extent to some mispricing opportunities, and that is always, oh. always what everybody's looking for, right? And the point you made a little bit earlier about cash sloshing around, we have record cash levels on the platform at the moment, and they're high. They're yeah. really, really high. Yeah, and we find... Yeah, there's obviously a natural tendency to accrue over time, right? So you should see bigger cash levels over time. That should just happen naturally as people make more deposits and we get more customers and that kind of stuff. But there are very clear timing differentials on cash, which is interesting. So as rates have risen, obviously the cash book has also risen quite dramatically. But we saw our cash book rise dramatically pre-COVID. Just kept climbing. People thought the market was really toppy. The market in Australia put on 19% in 2019. Don't know if anyone remembers that. It was a weird year another weird yeah, year. And a lot of our investors just felt it was toppy. And so they were sitting on the sidelines. And then as soon as the COVID collapse happened, they just threw money at the market. You yeah. didn't see a material de- deterioration in the cash levels, but that was because they were bringing in cash from other sources at the same time. So it was just unbelievable. So seeing the cash book rise like this at the moment, it's very, very clear that people are waiting for a mispricing opportunity or yeah. a sell-off. Any any pockets that look interesting to you at the moment or if a particular catalyst presents itself might look more interesting? I I think one of the big catalysts, um, looking at the macro picture, and I'll I'll look at that first, um, is the the carry trade, which um, for those of you who don't know about the carry trade, it's been going on for donkey's years. Basically, uh, Japan interest rates are zero, and everywhere else in the world is a lot higher than that. The US, you know, 4% or whatever. So you basically borrow money in Japan, and you then use it elsewhere. And, and that carry trade has been an embedded part of the market for a couple of decades, at least. Japan has been zero interest rates for as long as I can remember, pretty much. So that's been going on. That that could change. That could be a major pivot point. The other thing that's puzzled me, and I, and I wrote this the other day in an article, well, I actually wrote it today on Tuesday Takedown. Um, I was talking about the retail stocks, which, you know, we, we heard last year, um, you know, that the world was coming to an end, that interest rates um, would cause the mortgage cliff, uh, would cause you know all these arrears. Banks 
have not suffered. Uh, they put money away, which is you know good. They squirreled it away, uh, which is prudent. But retail stocks generally have gone nuts this year. You know, all-time highs in some cases. Super cheap rallied six percent yesterday uh, on the back of uh, trading results, and we've seen JB Hi-Fi and all these retail stocks doing very well. And I think that that is a sector that is way overblown. Consumer sentiment is still not great. I'm not sure where the the money is coming from to uh, to prop up uh, these consumer stocks. There there are some shorts in them. And certainly the worst hasn't happened, which is always good. But they do seem to have anticipated far better times than I think than we are facing. So that is certainly a, a part of uh, of our, or certainly my strategy at the moment, is, is to take some profits in some of those, not to sell out completely, but take some money off the table in those consumer discretionary stocks. Because things are tight out there. It takes a little while to change consumers' behavior. But things are tight. And the good thing about consumer retail stocks is you can do your own research. You can go into um, you know, any Westfield and you can stand there and you can look at how many people are going in and out. You can go and talk to the JB Hi-Fi staff. You know, how are you busy? What are you selling? You can do all this. So it's it's kind of easy. Something that maybe analysts don't do because they're in their ivory towers uh, and they're looking at their spreadsheets. But you and I and, and sensible people can take a bit of a read from um, wandering around shopping malls. So I think that is a sector that's ripe for a bit of a pullback. Uh, CSL is another one that I, you know, that got down to 230 bucks and it's back up to 290 odd. That's a big rally. And uh, I think that's another one that should possibly be in line for a little bit of um, taking some money off the table there. Every broker in the world always loves CSL. And they all say, you know, it's a fantastic, great story. It is. It's a great story. It's a great Australian success story. But it is, to be honest, it is very, very complicated. You know, the, people say, you know, they just take plasma and they're making smart things. Yes, they do. They do that very well. But they've also got Vi4 uh, now. And it's a very complicated business. It's not an easy one. So that's another one that I've been looking at to take some profit in. And Funnily enough, the banks, which have been an absolute um, solid as a rock stalwart of this market, have held in remarkably well. And they keep telling us that it's a very competitive mortgage environment out there. It's it's tricky. It's not easy. Um, you know, money has to be spent on technology. AI may help, obviously, uh, in terms of that. And certainly that is uh, a big beneficiary. But, you know, the banks have held rock steady. Uh, I do think that there will come a time, I'm not sure if it's now or in the next couple of months, where it might be wise to take some money off the table in the banking sector, just because they run so so hard. You know, Commonwealth Bank, 113 bucks. And every man and his dog says they're overvalued. It has done for the last two decades. But um, so th there's a couple of sectors, I think, there that uh, are probably rife for a little bit of uh, profit taking, a little bit of money to be taken off the table, lock in some profit, and then be patient. Uh, wait. Um, you are being paid to be patient at the moment. I was literally about to say, tell me about CBA at $113. Yeah, wow. Uh, amazing. Yeah. And I will say, you know, for our investors, 
they do tend to be very good at taking profits on the banks in particular yeah. when they start to run hard. They know yeah. their price ranges for banks really, really well. And uh, and I can guarantee you around that sort of anything above 110 for CBA, you can see them locking in profits very clearly. Uh, and then, yes. you know, below 100, they'll start buying it again. You know, people, they know their ranges, NAB in particular yeah. actually. Uh, yeah. But it is amazing at the moment. Like what is the catalyst for that? Is it the sort of more benign outlook is like I'm, I'm damned if I can think of a good reason why that price has been running to be honest with you I, I guess to some extent it's a function of uh, the lagging effect of interest rates going up and those interest margins they've got those net interest margins and the fact that the worst case scenario hasn't happened and more to the point I, I seem to remember there were predictions of the great housing crash as people were forced to sell their homes because they could no longer afford the mortgages, et cetera. You know, again, that hasn't happened. Property prices have just gone, continued to push ever higher and higher, which I, you know, I, I own a house, um, only one. You know, I'm one of the few that's only got one. But, uh, you know, it's astounding. And it's I think it's very sad. And we talked about this before we started the podcast, you know, with our kids and the banker mum and dad, it's, it's really hard for kids. It's really hard for, you know, teachers and nurses and, and ambulance drivers and firemen to, to live and work close to each other because it's it's just crazy. 518,000 people coming to uh, Australia on the immigration front, I think it was last year. That's a huge amount of pressure. Um, so that's, I think, playing into the banks well. They've all got to open a bank account, haven't they? I'm sure, you know, you've seen that with NABs. All those 518,000 people that open a bank account, they want to borrow money, they want to buy a car, they want to buy a TV, they want to do, you know, they want to buy a house or rent or whatever. It's good for the banks. Population growth is good for the banks. And what else is good, I guess, for the banks is that because we haven't seen the disasters in terms of, um, on, on a large scale anyway, uh, in terms of that that mortgage cliff, although you know, personal uh, stories abound, um, they have been able to sort away to some extent funds provisions, which they will be able to bring back when the the outlook clears, and, and you know stuffing those hollow logs with provisions uh, for bad and doubtful debts is is a useful thing to be able to do because it does smooth out your P and L. You don't take uh, you don't take huge amounts when the time's going well because you stuff it in the logs, and when times are going badly, you can bring back those provisions as rates fall, et cetera. So, you know, I, I still think they're a bit overvalued, I must admit. And you're right, you know, your your um, users and, and uh, subscribers, et cetera, on your platform uh, have probably got a really good track record of timing the banks. And that goes back to what we talked about to begin with in terms of timing the market. And uh, that they, they had banks is timing the market in the banks is is a national pastime, isn't it? It's it's almost a national sport. And, and I think Australian Investors are very, very good at it. Yeah, they get a lot of love. People, yeah, people really know. They know well, and uh, and you can track it daily. It's amazing. You made yeah. such a good case for why they've been running higher, and then you were like, still think they're overvalued, and I love it. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. You play both sides <laughs> of that one. Yeah. So let's just say you yeah. happen to be in a scenario where you've got some cash left over after Christmas. You're looking at this market going, yeah, retail's looking looking a bit bit toppy. Banks yep. are looking a bit toppy. 
done nicely out of my CSL or I didn't if I bought it at 290 before and now it's back at 290. What do I do? Do I just just Mm. be patient? Four and a half percent in the bank, that's not bad at all. I could be happy with that. Or are there little windows that are opening themselves currently? What are you thinking? Um, I, I'm, you know, we're, we're entering the the killing season, if you like. You know, we've got February coming out, which is reporting season. The market does tend to do, I call it my fat and happy at Easter theory, uh, which used to be that uh, I'd go away with my family and other families to a, a house in the Blue Mountains every Easter. And when I was trading my own money, uh, it always used to seem to do very well between uh, Christmas and Easter. I'd be fat and happy and by, you know, I'd get complacent. I'd be punching the air and then it would all turn to uh, custard post-Easter. Easter's the end of March this year, by the way. It's a bit of an early one. I, I must admit, I would tend to be patient. I, there's there's nothing that uh, is screaming uh, buy. There's a few small caps, I think, that are screaming buys. Uh, I think the uranium sector may be a little bit overblown short term, so I'm not really prepared to chase that any higher. We got set a month or two ago before it really kicked off. Clearly, the iron ore stocks, the the as I call them, the three amigos, uh, BHP, Rio, and Fortescue, under some pressure because of the iron ore price. Gold, I think there may be some uh, some interesting little little stocks in the gold space. You got to, you know, I looked at the Aussie dollar gold price today, thirty one hundred bucks close on. That is a that is a massive massive price for um, Aussie producers. So. You know, there, there may be a little bit of upside in some of those gold stocks, but they do trade a lot on sentiment. And if we do see uh, the US dollar continue to be under a little bit of pressure, that will certainly help keep the gold price elevated. At tech stocks, we don't have any here, really, do we? Let's face it. We have a few selected ones, you know, the wise techs, the zeros. Um, can't get excited about those just at the moment. So I, I think generally it comes down to um, being patient seeing how earnings season pans out. Uh, we didn't seem to have too many um, confessions going into AGM season in November. Uh, lots and lots of guidance continued in the same vein. Lots and lots of guidance confirmed and reaffirmed, et cetera, but no real big upgrades. So I'd just be a little bit patient. I, I know people after Christmas, if they have got some money in their pockets, and a lot of people have, as you say, uh, we had a lot of we had a deluge of dividends dropping before Christmas, not ex dividends, but the actual physical payments uh, to uh, to individuals and to to um, investors. So that is burning a hole in people's pockets. Certainly, some of that has gone into the market. But I would just be a little patient and and keep an eye on the results season and try and pick the eyes out of that. I, I had a I, I wrote something which I thought was um was was pretty good. One of my New Year's resolutions, and I don't know whether we'll get to it, but because I've been prattling on so much. But one thing that did occur to me in 2023, and I think because of the way the markets move on momentum, this is something I wrote. You don't have to be first on a theme, but make sure you're not the last. So you don't have to pick the theme the, the day it turns, and this goes back to timing the market again. But also, you have to recognize that once it starts, you can get on board. But you also don't want to be the last man holding that parcel when the music stops. And we've seen that with lithium. You know, the music stopped. A lot of people, and myself included, were defending the whole lithium price. You know, it's transitory, there's demand, et cetera. 
And these things have just crashed to earth. Uh, and Canute, like some people have you know, sat on the beach in their thrones going, oh, this is not happening. The water's not coming in. I'm not going to drown. Um, and they're drowning. So you don't have to be the first on a theme, but make sure you are not the last. It is kind of what I'm thinking. And I think patience plays into that and just you know, wait for those opportunities to come because they are like London buses. And they will come along and they come along quite frequently. They may not be where you want to go, uh, and they may be full, uh, London buses tend to be, but you will uh, see them come along. And if you're patient, I think you'll get be rewarded for your patience. And, and in the meantime, you're going to get 4.5% in the bank. So it's, it's not like you're going that far backwards. Um, and it, it can be, if you jump in too early to a theme, then it can be dangerous. I love all the metaphors. <laughs> what you did you? Say. We've got the London buses, we've yeah, got King we got Newt, we've got them all happening. We got them but all in, didn't we? <laughs> think that point you make about not being last on a theme is so critical and it does feel a touch like we're at that point in the market where you can mm. be last on a bus. And uh, that's taking you where you don't want to go, right? You don't want to be that person. No, Henry. you want to tap off. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. You need to tap off. I mean, that, that's my, I, I get off the bus and I forget to tap off. But you've got to tap off. Otherwise, you know, you're going to pay too much. <laughs> <laughs> so many analogies. We'll just keep the bus analogy running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know we will speak again, hopefully after reporting season, actually, when we have a little bit of an update on... Sure. Perhaps where things are going, but Henry, you at Marcus today provide research for investors. You also manage money for investors and you've alluded to how you do that, which is actually really interesting because most people, when they're hearing from professionals, it's all about time in the market and so on. It's cool to hear the other side of how things can be done. Where do people go to find out more about you guys and what you do? Uh, you can always go to marcustoday.com.au and, of course, you can sign up for a free trial and uh, you won't be pestered uh, by a, a highly aggressive sales team, which is always good. I find we're a pretty um, pretty old school kind of operation here, Marcus and myself. So uh, you won't be pestered. Sign up for a free trial, see what we have to offer. It can be a bit complicated and a bit daunting, the markets are, but uh, hopefully we can uh, help you on your journey. And you're not wandering around with a whiteboard marker uh, <laughs> taking down the prices anymore. So I could I could tell you stories about the London Stock Exchange floor <laughs> in those days. It uh, it was it was just extraordinary. Uh, good I thing don't know was, if I'd be able to publish that one. I think the stories you tell me might be unpublishable, but I, I'm dying to hear them. We'll have to take no, them offline. I, I could, I could, but you know the amount of shoe leather I used to expand. I think they worked out that a blue button was what I was. I used to walk twelve miles a day. Yeah, wow. Um, just wandering around the hexagonal pitches, as they were called on the stock exchange floor, gathering prices. If That's only all you could you, do. If only you'd you had do. a Fitbit, and then you could have felt good about it. Well, I think we 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 had. You see, this is the thing. Technology. We've you know we've got iPhones now that do extraordinary things, but we used to have Walkmans. We had music on the go. Oh, you were good. Okay. We used to have we used to have pedometers. I mean, they weren't particularly <laughs> great. You wouldn't have had a pedometer, don't we? That's that's where we got the twelve miles from because oh, people okay. did put pedometers on their feet and or on their legs or whatever, and they measured how many steps they took with the pedometer. There was <laughs> you know there was technology before technology, Gemma. You're too young to remember this stuff. But, <laughs> no, but I'm pretty sure my mum got a pedometer. Unfortunately, a, I'm not that young, so I can still remember 
the days of your the days of your Henry mm. Jennings from Marcus today. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's my pleasure, Gemma. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We know you love hearing from Henry and from so many of our other guests, but also a new topic. So please just let us know what you want to hear about. And we do love getting your questions. Please just email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au. I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.